Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, I want to invite you to take them out and open them to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15, actually 14 and 15. This morning's message is entitled, Welcome the Week of Faith. And uh, I'm not trying to imply anything about you there. It's just uh, the passage that we're covering this morning starts in Romans chapter 14, verse 1, and it goes all the way through Romans chapter 15, verse 7, where Paul brings the, the whole message back together, and he says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And so this idea of welcoming one another seems pretty basic at times, but you'd be surprised uh, how we can uh, pretty much be unfriendly and some right, sometimes downright rude. And so as we dig into this, some of it may be fairly simple uh, to understand, but the application can be extraordinarily difficult at times because I've discovered our opinions are strong. I don't know if anyone in here has actually served on jury duty. Uh, I've only served on grand jury, but I was called in to serve on jury duty this last week. And here in eastern Oregon, it's quite the, uh, quite the scene. I want to encourage you, even if you don't uh, like jury duty and, and you kind of ignore those things in the mail, go. It's, it's quite actually interesting. You find out a lot about how people think, especially here in eastern Oregon. And uh, I discovered if you ever decide to take up a life of crime in eastern Oregon and you're guilty and even you admit your guilt, whatever you do, never, ever, ever write out a confession because the jury they will just soon as shoot you on sight. I mean, if you wrote out a confession I discovered, you're done. I mean, it was amazing the decisions and opinions people had once they found out, according to a defense attorney, that his client had not only done the crime, but he wrote a confession, and he asked the jury pool, what do you guys think about that? And, and they're like, he's guilty. And he would say, well, what about this? He's guilty. No, what about this? You, you just told the judge and everyone here, you'll process the evidence. What do you think? And he would say, he's guilty. And it wasn't just one person. It was about a half dozen people. Needless to say, they didn't make the final cut uh, for that poor soul. So uh, this morning, when we're talking about matters, of uh, disputable matters or matters of opinion, as some translations will put it, uh, we have to understand the context and be willing to actually uh, think through some things, and not only think through things, but apply it to our life in a thoughtful way, in a loving way. Let's just not jump to conclusions. So beginning in chapter 14, verse 1, we're going to have to go through this quickly since we have so many verses, but in this passage, uh, it begins, it says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. So right off the bat, you realize there is someone that is weak in faith. Now, you might not really understand this because most of the time it's like, do you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If so, yes, you're saved. If you don't, you're not. It doesn't really seem to be a lot of gray area there. But believe it or not, the Bible talks about, yes, you can have faith in God, in Christ, you're saved. But that saving faith, it, it's effective for salvation. You just don't have a really strong or mature faith yet. And we often don't think like that. So he says, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions, or that's what it has in the ESV, 
probably the best way or the best translation that I've seen is in the New American Standard here. It says not to accept the one who is, or now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. The point being here is this. When someone is weak in faith, you invite them in, you love them, but not for the purpose of beating them up or trying to, quote, straighten them out. And not only that, but it's not an opinion. As you're going to see here in just a minute, um, there is absolute truth. It's not a matter of opinion. The opinion or the dispute is on the application, the person's ability to apply that truth. They don't have enough, quite enough faith to actually apply the truth. And I'll give you a, a few examples here in just a minute. But he gets, he gets going here in verse 2 through 6. We'll read through this, and then uh, I'll summarize it a little bit to help kind of set the stage a little bit better. It says, one person believes he may eat anything. So we're talking about a person who here has no qualms with eating. The context here is Rome. This church was, or this letter was more than likely written about 2,000 years ago from a city in Greece to the church in Rome, modern-day Italy. During that time, you had Jewish believers and you had Gentile believers. They both were believers in Christ. They just had different backgrounds, different customs. Not only that, but the Gentiles, along with the, the Jewish believers, had backgrounds in eating certain foods and worshiping on certain days. We're very familiar with the Jewish background, but maybe you're not so familiar with in Rome during those times, there were lots of different cults that would require you to eat or not eat. There would be sacrifices to some gods, and, and the meat would be sold oftentimes on the market afterwards, and people weren't sure if you know they could kind of get a deal on some meat. Uh, that it, was it okay to eat that? And there was all sorts of days of worship. So it was, it was quite confusing. And so there was a problem in the early church here. So one person believes he may eat anything, and the weak person eats only vegetables. So it's unclear. He doesn't really say which particular background he's addressing. He's just addressing it all. And the verb here, in, or the noun here in Greek for vegetables, can mean herbs or plants. So a diet that is not meat, essentially, kind of like a vegan diet in some degree uh, today. Verse 3, now, let not the one who eats despises the one or despise the one who abstains. So if you were back in the day eating anything, you shouldn't look down or despise someone who didn't have enough faith to say, hey, the food doesn't matter. You shouldn't despise them. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. And this is the case if you're thinking about how do I apply this today, a lot of times this is where I've found today where it's actually kind of the opposite. It's more in this latter category. So uh, to give you a for instance here, he's about to talk about alcohol, food, and individual days. Let's take alcohol for a second. Let's um, assume that you know the truth in the scriptures, that Jesus actually turned the water into wine. It was real wine. And Paul actually admonished Timothy to drink wine for his stomach because drinking wine was not a sin. Jesus turned the water and the wine, they had wine. Back in the day, water was not really sanitary or, or there weren't many sources for it. So wine was a way in which you could drink it safely or drink water. Now the alcohol content and all that we're not going to go into, but make no mistake, drinking wine was not a sin. But let's say you're saved today and you come from a background of maybe a family with alcoholics or 
Or maybe the lifestyle in which you came out of was associated with drinking and bars and that sort of thing. And you come to this, the, the understanding that Christ loves you right where you're at, you're redeemed, and it's just by grace through faith, and now you're trying to follow Jesus. And the question is, you see maybe a brother in Christ drinking wine, and he, and he shows you the truth of the Scripture. It's, it's not an actual sin to drink. But for you, you're, you're so close to that, and it's been such a part of your life, and it brings back all those memories that your faith really doesn't allow you to, to drink without being hurt uh, in, in your heart, in your spirit, in your faith. So you, you don't do that. Even though you know the truth, you don't do that. And so the problem is sometimes those people actually become almost uh, spiritual kind of kings. They, they want to set a standard that even the scripture doesn't set, and they, they create rules. Baptists, oh my goodness, Southern Baptists were great at legalistic rules, right? Back in the day, you couldn't drink, you couldn't dance, you couldn't do uh, any number of things uh, on, on Sunday. Boy, literally in the South, all the stores were closed on Sunday. They were called blue laws. We were really good at creating all this stuff that wasn't actually in Scripture. Now, that being said, it doesn't give you a license to just live however you want or to condemn others, we are to think of the person um, and love them, not despise them on either side. If you have complete freedom and you understand that and you utilize that, great. If you have complete, complete freedom but you don't have the faith to utilize that, that's great, but don't condemn others who do. But that's not where it stops. He continues on here in verse 4. He says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Notice this, the man of faith is upheld. This isn't knowledge, it is a man of faith. Weak faith or strong faith is still faith, and the Lord will hold you up. Verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another. Another person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So notice this. Faith and knowledge are two separate things here. Faith will grow and knowledge can grow, but faith isn't always complete as far as its knowledge. So the idea is this. Whatever faith you have, make sure you're locked into it. Believe it with all your heart as long as it's true. You might not have all the truth yet. You have enough to be saved, but maybe you're a new believer or new to, to Christianity or or whatever the case may be, you're a believer and now you're, you're getting plugged into a, a good Bible-believing church, have your faith and live it out, and God will uphold you. In verse 6, he says, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats it in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains ab abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So let's look at this a little closer. First, there are people who are weak in faith and those who are strong in faith. Let's really be clear on that. Weak in faith and strong in faith, but they both have faith. We're not dealing with knowledge. You can know something to be true, but have a hard time living in the freedom of that truth. That's different than faith. The strong should not despise the weak. Don't try to fix them immediately. This is what I've noticed in churches a lot. 
If, if you see someone that's struggling, you immediately want to fix them. Uh, I'm a guy. I like to fix stuff. I've got a whole garage full of tools that I hope I never have to use, but in case I need to fix them, fix something, they're there, right? And we want to fix the problem. But the solution here is to love them before you try to fix them. Love them. Build them up in their faith. Maybe they're weak in, a, in faith in this area, and so you're trying to build them up. And before you even talk about the details of the knowledge that will help them build up in this area of their faith, build them up in another area of faith. They might have great faith that you don't have. And just build them up. It's like children. Children, uh, I've noticed parenting, it, it's kind of divided into two camps. Those who make their kid eat vegetables and clear their plate, and those who make their kids try vegetables, and if they don't like it, they just don't make them eat it. And uh, I was in the latter camp. Um, that, that's kind of good, but I ended up with a lot of cavities. So I was chowing down on candy. Uh, my parents were very gracious, and, and that's kind of how we should be in life with these, these instances of faith and weakness. But at some point, you want to bring the child back around of, hey, I didn't make you eat all the vegetables because I knew you hated it at the time, but the truth of the matter is vegetables are good for you and you will want to eat them with your diet or you won't have any teeth when you grow up and you'll have dentures and an 18-year-old with dentures isn't a good look. So let's make sure that ultimately we come back to truth but love them long enough to give them some grace. And that's what we're talking about here in matters of dispute. Uh, the other thing that we have to be cautious on, this is a matter of faith. It isn't adding to or taking away from the gospel. This isn't going and accepting legalism or a change in the gospel. There are some people who use this passage to describe any sort of difference in doctrine as non-essentials. Uh, let's be very careful here. The areas that we should uh, love one another and recognize that people can be weak or strong in faith have to do with days of worship and have to do with food most often in Scripture, 99% of the time. So when people begin introducing questions or doubts about other doctrine or, or make it actually an essential of the gospel where you have to do these things, that's not what Paul is talking about here. Weaker faith or strong in faith these people had rejected kind of a legalistic earn works salvation. That isn't it. They'd already believed. It was by grace through faith in Christ alone. What we're talking about now here is just trying to live out that faith. If people start messing around with the gospel or trying to overlook things that, hey, let's wait a minute, let's get into scripture and examine that and, and, and kind of slide that into this area, be very cautious there. That is where we're going to have a, 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 a sit-down and talk about the truth. And notice here in just a moment, the truth of Scripture that Paul holds to, holds to, he never rejects it. He never holds it back. He's never quiet with it overall. He just doesn't get in the face of the individual who's weak in faith and make them feel even worse. So, let's continue. Verse 7, he says, for none of us lives to himself, and none of, him none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Point being here, we're no longer our own. 
we're living sacrifices for Christ, whether we live or die. Verse 9, he says, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. And this is kind of confusing to a lot of people because we live post-resurrection. We look back to the cross of Christ in history, a historical act, and we trust in that. But prior to that, people were looking forward to the, the cross of Christ. They were looking forward to faith in God. He would send a Savior. They didn't have all the revelation that we have today, but they still live by faith. And the scriptures present this as true, not only true in that they died, but they didn't just die and they're rotting in the grave. The scriptures say when we die, we go to be with the Lord uh, in heaven, or there are a number of, of words used in the Bible to describe it as paradise, or ultimately in new heavens and new earth. But whether we live or die, it doesn't mean uh, when we die, we just cease to exist. Christ is still Lord. And so the believer, looking at matters of conflict on days or or the things that we might do in, in eating or other things, uh, we have to look at it from an eternal perspective. And Paul begins to lay this out. He says in verse 10, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Uh, or, do you, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So there are certain things we really don't need to judge one another about. This isn't saying that we shouldn't make good judgments. Matthew 7 and Matthew 18, uh, Jesus admonishes the church to make good judgments and, and to do so as a body. But in this case, it isn't necessarily a judging like as in a wise judgment, but more of how we would use the term uh, outside the church today of judging someone or making a false decision, despising them about something that we really haven't thought through or don't know anything about. Verse 11, he quotes Isaiah 45, 23 here. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to himself, to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather uh, to decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. In matters of weak faith, Love is the priority. Knowledge will come, but start with love. Don't use your freedom to be a, a stumbling block to others. And what's so surprising is how much people pay attention to you, especially if you're a leader. I recognize this even as a pastor. If you, if you don't realize I sit up here up front, that's not because I'm like especially holy. It's really not. I would rather be in the back. But I'm up and down in front of the stage a lot. And so a lot of people look to me like during worship. And I've explained it to people before. Don't look at me during worship. I have no rhythm at all. This is me worshiping. This is me worshiping really excited. This is me going to the absolute third level. Yeah, I just, you would think, man, he's just like cold hearted. No, I'm just not really expressive in worship don't look at me look at other people and they're like man your pastor he's just he's not into this this is a cold church i'm like no on the inside i'm loving jesus i'm dancing it's just i have no rhythm and i've learned not to let that out or people really laugh right so people watch me and i'm like don't watch me watch the worship leaders watch the correct people 
And so in your life, believe it or not, you might think like, oh, don't watch me. But people do. Uh, the waitresses, uh, the, where you go to eat, your neighbors, your friends, people, co-workers. If you've ever brought up Jesus, they will forever associate you as a Christian. And whatever you do or say, they will evaluate all of Christianity through you. Now, that's not really fair, but that's the truth of the matter. And, and it can really uh, cause a lot of anxiety sometimes. But we have to remember, it, it's not Jesus that, or it's not us that's going to win people to the Lord. It's Jesus. But at the same time, we do have a responsibility not to put a knowing hindrance or stumbling block in front of people. Let's not do that in regards to our food or even the days in which we worship. So, here's where he brings it back around. Verse 14, Paul says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord, Jesus or in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. So hold to the truth, realizing the thinking of others can be an error. And the solution to that isn't to right away try to correct their thinking with the truth, but realize wherever they're at, they're weak in faith and to love them. Don't just jump on them, right? We, we want to do that. Give them time. Verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Flat out. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Love is a greater priority than your freedom. Love trumps freedom. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you have trouble giving something up, for instance, like if I were to go to try to share the gospel in a Muslim country today, maybe in the Middle East, and uh, maybe I share the gospel and we have a new believer, someone converts from Islam and, and they just are praising the Lord. They have the joy and peace of the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. I don't probably at first offer them a ham sandwich to celebrate. Probably not going to happen, right? That's, that would be so just worldview conflicting. And, and so sometimes we do do that, though. Uh, with new believers or even people we're trying to share the gospel with, we're completely oblivious to their beliefs in their current situation. And so you have to contextualize. Don't give up truth in contextualizing but contextualize a little bit in love and give them time to hear truth and, and to come to believe in Christ. So, he continues. He says this, verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man. You can be weak in faith, and you have to know. God loves you, and you're approved. You might not have all the stuff worked out in your life, and you might not be this great evangelist or this, this great person that just seems to have this bold faith in every area of your life. No, if you're living out your faith, weak as it is, you're trying to live for Christ. That's what, what God desires. 
this relationship and just simply following him in an authentic way. Well, he continues. Verse 19, this is critical. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. If your idea of solving a problem tears someone down, you're probably not on the right track. We're not, again, we're not talking about getting into matters of truth or heresy here. We're dealing with people who genuinely have believed. And if what you're doing is making it, the situation work or worse, stop. Step back and go, am I operating in love? Verse 20, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. So he reinforces this time and again. Everything is clean. And I want to point this out to you as well. A lot of people really confuse this. When it comes to matter of food, we're not talking about nutrition. This is not saying one diet is better or more healthy than the other. That has nothing to do with it. This is about purity or holiness or right standing before God. This isn't uh, putting the stamp of approval on one diet or the other in regards to building muscle or losing fat, that sort of thing. This is clean, unclean, holy, acceptable, not. He says, everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So we have the freedom to eat and drink however we want unless it causes someone to stumble. For me personally, I don't drink at all. Haven't drank in years. I do so not even because uh, I'm, I'm weak in faith at all. Uh, I used to kind of be a little hesitant or weak in faith because I just simply had never studied it in Scripture. Uh, I, I, was, I was raised under Southern Baptist teachers, and, and they would reduce the alcohol content in wine so much so there was nothing more than like safe grape-flavored water, right? They just didn't want to admit that it was wine. But here's the deal. It was. But I'm okay with that. And I still don't drink, not because I'm afraid of drinking, but in our society, wow. There, there's very little good associated with drinking alcohol. There just really is. Very little. Now in Europe, it's an entirely different situation. I once went a trip to Paris and and people drank wine like it was water. Little kids, adults, whatever the case. It just wasn't associated in the same way. And what was funny was the Europeans in Paris, they actually had more of an issue with food and almost none with alcohol because they would see uh, Americans as actually unhealthy as far as our weight and our diet. And, and that was more of a hindrance to them than here in America. It was just different in the cultures. So we have to be aware of who we're around and how our freedom affects them. Verse 22, he says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. And this is specifically referring to the faith as far as food, drink, or the days that you observe, not the gospel. Let's, let's make sure we take that in context. He's not saying, oh, don't ever share your faith. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And here's the area where you could possibly open this up into other categories. But I honestly believe this is just a summary statement of what he's been talking about. 
the idea is this. If you have struggles with uh, eating certain foods that you think that God doesn't approve, and you're just, it's really grieving you as far as your faith, but you decide to just chow down on it anyway, he's saying that's actually sin. Because what you're doing is uh, you're no longer following the Lord. You're no longer seeking Him. You're letting maybe something else do it. Maybe it's peer pressure leads you, or maybe you're just choosing to reject faith and kind of go on your own sort of deal. The idea is this, and this is what is so cool. As you read the New Testament, it's not all about worship services, as I mentioned earlier. You just don't see anything in the Gospels as far as worship services. And, and we, this is our focal point today in the New Testament church is worship, song, and all this stuff. Now, what it is is this close, personal walk with Jesus and others in life. It's, it's lived out. And so, as you do that, every single moment of every single day, in whatever you do as a living sacrifice, you have to make a choice. Do you live by your own opinions or the thoughts and opinions of man, or do you live according to the word and promises and truth of God? Those are your choices. When you get up in the morning, Monday morning, as a disciple of Jesus, you're not here, you're sitting there at the edge of bed, and you're trying to decide on your attitude and what you're going to do that day and how you're going to live. And you're either going to live according to the truth, or you're probably, like a lot, of, a lot of us, including me sometimes, you're just going to try to get through the day without bad stuff happening, trying to keep your attitude positive maybe. Hopefully there's no tragedies in life. And at the end of the day, you'll kind of discern whether your day went poorly or good based upon there were no blow-ups, no major meltdowns, no major tragedies, and someone asks you, did you have a good day? And you're like, yeah, I had a pretty good day. That's not the Bible. That's not how the Bible says life should be. Life should be joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, love. It should be life in the Spirit. This one-on-one -on -one relationship and then living with other believers in that context, your relationships are, are grounded in Christ. And so you, you really begin to understand this love key that is so important in, in knowledge and faith. You do stuff out of love. You always hold the truth. But love gives you time to kind of work things out. Knowledge is quick, judgmental, and harsh. Knowledge alone puffs up. Love builds up. He continues, and he says this. Verse 1 of, of chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now that's a challenge because no one wants to admit they're weak, right? That's part of this whole key is to acknowledge you're weak. Do you know anyone that likes to acknowledge they're weak in faith? No, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> they're like, yeah, I'm weak compared to some of these Olympic athletes that I'm seeing, right? Even, even compared to the figure skaters that I talked about last week that I don't even like to admit that I watch. Like, I'm a weakling compared to those guys. Now, then you go to, like, the, the Super G or the slalom racers. They've got thighs the size of tree trunks, right? I don't mind. I'm, I'm, willing, I'm, I'm willing to admit that I'm weak compared to them. I've got toothpicks for legs. I'll admit it. I've got chicken legs, all right? Don't mind doing that at all. But when it comes to things of faith, 
I want to believe that I'm the strong. I don't want to admit that I'm in the category of weak. Few people do, and not only that, but once again, they sometimes try to turn it around and think that they're actually strong and tell others how to live. But this whole conversation is predicated on the fact that someone is weak, they admit it, they know the truth, they just can't live it out. Someone else is strong in faith, they know the truth, but they should be cautious and loving in how they live it out. So it's not pretending or throwing someone else under the bus. It's this true acknowledgement that, yeah, I'm weak in faith here. It's okay, but let's make sure we love them and build them up in faith and knowledge. Finally, verse uh, 2 through 7, he says, Let us not please, or let us, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Psalm 69, 9. Jesus quotes this. Paul quotes this here. The psalmist basically is doing this. He's trying to live out his faith in God. And people are making fun of him. They're throwing reproaches or slanderous accusations against him for living out his faith. Notice this. Within this conversation of weak faith and strong faith, sometimes people will slander you or reproach you or, or say things that are false against you for trying to take a stand on truth. They'll do all sorts of things. We tend to do that in our weakness, right? We tend to make up stuff. We tend to give excuses, all sorts of things. And the problem is this, that will happen. It's how do you respond? So first is to understand that Christ set the example for us. And this will happen. We stand and, and are built up in this truth. Verse four, for whatever, or rather verse five, or the second half of verse 4, for whatever was written in our former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So, in the midst of weak faith and strong faith, the scriptures not only stand, we don't get rid of truth, but they're there for our encouragement that we might have hope but this other factor in there is this endurance. That's as you're trying to love the person and build them up in faith, you have to endure even sometimes reproaches that are hurled upon you. Verse 5, may the God of endurance. Once again, this endurance is not just endurance that you're having to grit, and grit your teeth and just kind of bear up. The God of endurance. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. One of the primary roles, and people most, most people I've come to understand don't understand this because they've never done a study on it. And I've actually had people really get mad at me for explaining this. But as you just do a word search in the New Testament and look at Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, most people are familiar with the fact that the Holy Spirit will convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and draw us to Christ for salvation. And the Holy Spirit gives gifts. We have spiritual gifts that we're given. But the vast majority 
of the time in the New Testament where you see the Holy Spirit, it has to do with joy and comforting. The Holy Spirit is even called the Comforter. So in the lives of believers, when you're, when you're struggling, and that's just kind of a hard thing to even conceptualize as well. A lot of times we believe when we come to Christ, life in Jesus should, should just be easy. But when we're struggling, when we're trying to live out our faith authentically before God, even in the church among other believers, the role of the Holy Spirit gives you comfort, joy, peace, endurance, if you will. God promises to never leave you, never forsake you. He is the God of endurance. And we don't talk about this on Sunday mornings, but there are a lot of areas where we're weak in faith in our lives and we struggle with sin. Not the sins that we're talking about here. This isn't even sin, but we know what sin is and we try to have faith and then we struggle and we fall and, and we continue to deal, it seems like, with the same stuff over and over and over and over again. And you're like, am I even saved? Yes, you are saved if you have faith. It is, is nothing that you did. It was the power and act of God in your life. It is a miracle. You were born again. Scriptures don't even explain what that is. says we can't even understand it. But you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are saved. And it's learning how to live after that learning how to grow your faith, how to capture thoughts, make them obey Christ, how to change your thinking, become Christ-like in your thinking, as Romans chapter 12 talks about. So it's just because you're struggling doesn't mean you're not saved. You just have to learn how to endure and how to, to finally figure out what the solution is to your particular sin. In this case, you're given encouragement through the Scriptures that you might have hope. If you're sitting here today and you don't have hope, I can always, anyone I've ever counseled, I can always trace it back to their heart attitude. Either they're viewing life through a kind of a horizontal, man-centered uh, sort of, of understanding and purpose, or they're viewing life through the promises of God and their hope is entirely different. Their circumstances don't change. It's just they no longer think of things temporally. They no longer think of things about themselves. It's all about Christ. And that's where Paul takes us and he, and he closes this out. And it's this beautiful passage in verse 6 and 7. He says, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ one voice glorifying our God and Father. That's what it looks like when there, there's not factions within the church where you have love for one another, love enough to give up some freedoms. And he says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. If this doesn't really hits you in the heart. Maybe you don't have problems of being weak in faith with food or certain days. I do want you to see it through this lens. Those small things are not silly. Any person who is trying to authentically live out their faith 
especially and through even the smallest things, that's the type of faith that you want. You want authentic faith. You don't want Sunday morning faith. You want real faith. And so if people are struggling in that, don't see that as silly or small. God bless them. Love them. Be excited. Rejoice that they're thinking about Jesus in everything. Secondly, are you living for your glory or God's? That's the tough one. That's where he closes this all out. If, if you can't think of how this applies to your life, I can see that maybe. But the simple close that he closes with, that with one voice were to glorify God, welcoming one another. Have you put your hope in something other than God? Have you let something steal your joy? Has it been so long that you just wanted to praise God that that concept is actually kind of weird to you? I think if you're a real person, and I think you are, you've probably been in those spots, even if you're not there today. I want to encourage you. Get back into the Scriptures. Get back to where you're loving other people purposefully. And if, if you've given up, if you've lost that endurance, I want you to know, God's still there. He loves you. And He is the God of endurance. Do not give up. God loves you, we love you, and you are welcome here. And we pray that your faith grows in Christ like it's never grown before. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much uh, for your word. It can be strange sometimes uh, reading about stuff that sometimes people had problems with a long ago, but might not apply to my life, but I, I realize that it does. I pray that everyone here puts you first and their freedom last. That they might love one another and build one another up. Let Blue Mountain Baptist Church be a church that encourages and builds faith. That holds the truth unwavering, just as your Apostle Paul did but at the same time has enough maturity and love to extend grace upon grace. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.